everybody. Welcome to the April 20th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the annual 420 celebration happening today as we speak. Probably, actually, if you're watching this at 8 o'clock, a little before than this broadcast, in Denver Civic Center Park. We've heard current sponsors, Euflora, are hoping for a more professional look to the event following the organizers' last year's celebration, leaving trash in the park overnight. Patty Cahoon from Westward, uh, your go-to on many, many issues, but especially pot celebrations. Do you expect a different look this year? Well, of course, 420 is like Christmas in my office. And as I was driving from my office through to the crowds, the smelly crowds, or the smoking crowds, on my way here, I was remembering last year because they only had one gate. So when we were leaving the studio last year, there were people already breaking down the fences so they can get in. When you're having a big event in Civic Center Park, it doesn't matter what the event is, you need to plan enough entrances. You're doing security. Most of them do now, and since the shootings five years ago, they've been doing secure, uh, security screenings. Looks like it is going to be a good, safe, tidy celebration. Michael Fields from Americans for Prosperity. Do you expect a, a little bit more of a commercial look? I mean, are, are, we getting, are we going to get closer to more of a uh, Taste of Colorado, maybe a, a People's Fair feel than the, uh, the ones we've had in the past? I think it has to be after last year. I mean, there was a backlash from the city was upset about, you know, the Civic Center getting trashed. Um, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, the marijuana debate continues on, and this is kind of a reminder of that, that this week Cory Gardner, uh, you know, came out with talking about legislation that they wanted to pass on the federal level, talked about, uh, you know, stopping, uh, you know, the justice nominees that he's been holding up because Trump said that uh, they weren't going to come after Colorado's uh, weed industry now. And so um, I think this is just a reminder that, yeah, one, you know, this, ha this has to be a better, you know, rally on 420, but it's also an ongoing debate that's going to be going on for years. Eric Sondran, political analyst, do you expect now, there was some controversy behind how the, the permit for this event came down. Uh, it eventually uh, went to the industry, and they seems to have uh, more of a grown-up feel. Do you expect that to continue to be the case? Well, nothing says professional to me, to use your word, like a 420 rally. <laughs> uh, when we have a blimp overhead, you know, when, uh, when the pot industry replaces Goodyear sponsoring the overhead blimp, then I'll know that we fully commercialized uh, this deal. For me, real quickly, 420 obviously means the pot rally and, and marijuana legalization and everything else Colorado has become semi-famous for. But it also, I don't, I don't think you can comment on 420 without flashing back 19 years to Columbine. Um, this is an anniversary of that. I remember where I was uh, approximately noon that day, which is the time we're taping this show, uh, when uh, that was going down between noon and 1 o'clock. May, may those people continue to rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Rounding up the panel, Susan Green from Colorado Independent. It's great to see you again. Uh, Susan, we have uh, a crazy 420 event happening, but we also have much more somber anniversary, as Eric reminds us of, uh, on Columbine. Uh, take your pick of what's making headlines this week. Yeah, I would say Columbine. Um, I sat next to Tom Mauser, who's the father of Daniel Mauser, one of the kids killed in the massacre a couple months ago. And I asked him, has anything changed in these last 19 years? And even though on some level I kind of knew it, nothing had, um, he said, well, actually, you know, only the, the, the federal laws have been only loosened. I mean, nothing has changed in terms of gun control 19 years later. And what we have raised, and my kids are included in this generation, is a generation to whom we cannot explain why guns are as available as fidget spinners and uh, why there are things like bump stocks and 
why we seem to care about gun violence only when there's a massacre and forget about it uh, two weeks later. Mm -hmm. and certainly to re remain the news uh, with other protests uh, throughout the year. Let's get to it. The Democratic and Republican Colorado State Assemblies took place this past Saturday with a major upset in the GOP governor's race. Walker Stapleton and Greg Lopez both secured a spot on the GOP ballot, but Cynthia Kaufman's campaign came to an end by only securing 5% of the vote. On the Democratic side, candidates Kerry Kennedy and Jared Polis officially qualified for the ballot, with Kennedy winning over 60% of the vote. Now, we're going to do two rounds on this one. Let's start with the GOP race. Uh, Patty, I... I'm going to go ahead and say I was out there. I did not have Greg Lopez anywhere near making the ballot. I had him in the group of also rans the clone car, a clown car, and lo and behold, he takes a spot that I think a lot of people a few months ago at least would have thought would have been Cynthia Kaufman's race against Walker Stapleton. And we have breaking news on uh, Friday morning as we're taping here at noon. Doug Robinson failed to make the ballot. So now we just have, we have officially a three-way gubernatorial GOP primary, Walker Stapleton, Victor Mitchell, and Greg Lopez. I did not have that in the pool a few months ago. Patty? Well, David Kopel, who was not here today, probably at, at the 420 rally, <laughs> mocked me last week for saying that it was going to be wild. Well, it was wild and wacky. I mean, Greg Lopez shows he's the Daryl Glenn of this assembly. If you get up, make a speech, have your wife, who you'd been hauled into court because of a domestic violence beef years before, if she makes a great speech, you make a great speech, you can get on the ballot. The shocker really was that Cynthia Kaufman did so badly um, that she took off after Walker Stapleton, which was interesting, and I guess that was only fair given what Doug Bruce had done to her, you know, saying, how can we have someone who isn't married and has never had children? We Doug assume Bruce. Doug Bruce. Mm -hmm. Does yeah. Doug Bruce have children? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, we're hoping point. Doug Bruce does not have children. <laughs> but that he, I mean, to take an attack like that against a major candidate, a, a state um a statewide official, the attorney general, and to say she can't be a candidate because she doesn't have children? You know, what What year is this, 1775? I mean, that a woman can't be a, in a position. So that was, hor that was horrifying. She didn't do a great job, though, as a speech. She probably should have had Greg Lopez's wife speak for her. And uh, that Walker Stapleton did the only thing he could do by pulling his petitions, but did a pretty good job of rallying the troops, and he's going to be hard to beat on the Republican side. Uh, Michael, I'm just going to throw it to you first. It's probably a question we'll be answering in a couple different ways, but help me understand the implosion that was the Cynthia Kaufman campaign when she first announced it looked like she was going to be uh, maybe not a front-runner, but at least a, a pretty formidable candidate, and that seemed to be the apex of her campaign. It only went south from there. Uh, help me understand it. I think it's hard to, to understate how big of an implosion that it was. Uh, I was at the assembly four years ago, and uh, her, her campaign color was blue, and blue was everywhere. People had hats and shirts. You would think she was a rock star uh, at the time. And I can't remember a politician in Colorado falling so quickly within a party without some huge scandal. Um, and really, I think that people just felt that she wasn't conservative enough as AG. There were several issues uh, that, that she just didn't stand up for conservatives on. Um, she ran a really bad campaign. Um, but 5%, I think, was lower than anybody expected. Um, and I think it didn't help her that she gave a speech ripping Walker Stapleton uh, right out of the gate, got booed. Um, and I think that that, you know, lowered her probably another 10% or so. Um, Greg Lopez had a, you know, had a good speech, but he was somebody who uh, I expected to do pretty well, not quite that well. But that's just by talking to grassroots people, that he's been around the state, that he's been, you know, t talking to people and getting some support. Uh, but Walker Stapleton's the big story, that he can get in four days before uh, the assembly, can get, you know, basically conservatives to come out, Tom Tancredo, 
Ken Buck, Patrick Neville came out and said this is the conservative who has the best shot of winning. Um, and so I, I think, you know, he's the clear front runner with only three candidates left with Doug Robinson out. I'm sure he'll challenge those uh, that through the court. But um, I think Walker Stapleton's the clear front runner. Eric, at one point, I think, and one of the reasons we had clown car uh, comments for both Democrats and the Republicans, but the clown car on the Republican side was far more crowded. I think at one point there was nine candidates, and we're now 11. down to 11. Okay, 11. Thank you, Susan. So uh, we're now down to three, but uh, I've been covering politics with, with all of us for a long time. I would not have had that three as the, the, the final three. Uh, were they in your pool? No, they would not have been my final three. Uh, and think of who else is not in the race at this point. George Brockler mm -hmm. looked like a Republican frontrunner way back when, when gone. Tom Tancredo, gone. Now Cynthia Kaufman, gone and almost embarrassingly gone. Uh, I spent the day last Saturday, I spent the morning at the Democratic Convention in Broomfield, drove up the road, spent the afternoon at the Republican Convention uh, in Boulder. My main takeaway is we talk all around this table and in all other circles about the political divide in this state and this country and how these parties continue to drift further and further apart. The cultural divide is as pronounced as the political divide. You could take the 4,000 people in Broomfield, the Democrats, the 4,000 Republicans in Boulder, line them up at a parking lot and walk down and identify with 98% accuracy, I'm convinced, who came out of which convention. The cultural difference is just, um, is just stunning. Cynthia Kaufman, I mean, I, I agree with Michael's point. Uh, she is underperformed. I, I think she's somewhat underperformed as attorney general, but as a politician, she has underperformed almost as badly as anyone I can remember who had promise, who had potential. Uh, this was a vote against her as much as it was a vote for Walker Stapleton. And particularly the vote for all those other candidates not named Stapleton was largely a vote against Cynthia Kaufman. You, it was palpable and you could feel it. Uh, you could feel it on the convention floor. Last floor. Lastly, Walker Stapleton, at least so far, is a pretty lucky politician, and luck has a role in politics of everyone who is out of the race. And I would even submit that the problem with his petitions, while it didn't seem lucky at the time, I think it will go down as a lucky break. It forced him to do this. It helped keep other candidates who would have gotten onto the ballot because that 100% of the delegate vote would have had to get split up somewhere. It kept them off the ballot. This, I mean, it's still going to be a rough November for whoever the Republican is, just given the tenor of the year. But this is set up for Stapleton to be the nominee and maybe not to break a sweat in the process. Susan, what's the bigger headline, Cynthia Kaufman's implosion or Greg Lopez's ascension? Uh, Cynthia Kaufman's implosion. Um, you know, I mean, on paper at least, uh, and let me just say I'm no fan of Cynthia Kaufman's, but on paper, she was, of all of those uh, Republicans, the one that actually probably had a, a, the best shot uh, statewide. I mean, she's a purportedly pro-choice Republican. Um, I think what hurt her largely is that this is a woman who said nothing about her position on choice for years and years in politics and suddenly became pro-choice you know, which I think largely killed her, not necessarily, I mean, partly because the base obviously does not embrace choice, but also I think there's an integrity issue there. Um, people are just kind of wondering, like, where have you been, Cynthia, and where do you stand on things? And, and this is a woman who has not answered basic questions about her position. Um, 
on all manner of topics in the state and has conducted herself in the Attorney General's office as an island. I mean, this she has a fortress around her. She does not speak to the press. She doesn't speak to the public. She doesn't play well in the sandbox with others. And what you felt palpably at that Republican assembly was that. People don't like her. And she's no longer tied to the congressman. She's not married to him anymore. So, you know, I, I'm sorry to say these things about her, but she did not emerge as her own candidate or her own person in that party. No, 5% of the vote backs it up. Let's do a quick second round of this to the Democratic side of the thing, uh, of, the, of the ballot. Uh, we knew Kerry Kennedy and Jared Polis were probably going to uh, get a spot in the ballot. Neither one of them had enough firepower to eliminate them from the ballot. But over 60% for Kerry Kennedy was a strong showing. Patty, is this significant momentum heading into the June 26th primary? Well, she definitely has been done so much better as Cynthia Coppins falling down. Good year for a woman, but uh, Carrie has handled her campaign ever since that goofy announcement when she was driving the car and talking and maybe running over little children. She's done a really good job with her campaign, and she's, she's caught fire. And if she continues to march that way, she has a good shot at beating Polis. It's still going to be tough. He's got a lot of money. He's got a very strong percentage of people who will vote for him no matter what. But she is doing very well. Then, of course, we would have a Walker-Stapleton-Kerry Kennedy rematch. And that would show just how different politics have been since they last met up. That's a good point. I forgot about the rematch point. Uh, Michael, you have uh, Jared Post has been saying that his wallet can buy the campaign, but Kennedy's come with a lot of momentum with the grassroots part of the party who you need to knock on the doors and to make the phone calls. How significant is that? I think it's very significant. Uh, grassroots support, uh, you know, is at least uh, comparable to money. Um, and I think, you know, the worst thing that can happen to Jared Polis right now is that this becomes a two-person race, which it has. Um, that he kind of wanted, you know, split between Donna Lynn and, and Mike Johnson and, and then Kerry Kennedy. But she did what she needed to do at the assembly, has a lot of support there. But Jared Polis did what he needed to do, too. Um, and he'll, you know, has a big pocketbook, and I think he'll spend as much as it takes to do that. So I think it's a two-person race. Uh, it's going to be close. Um, but I think, you know, Donna Lynn and, and Mike Johnston are, are kind of in Victor Mitchell territory where they'll spend a ton of money and probably get nowhere. So I'm sticking with uh, my same prediction from earlier this year on the show that says Walker Stapleton and Jared Polis will still be the nominees. Eric, what do you think? You were there, so I want to see what did you feel from uh, the assembly as the momentum or at least the, the general feel from the party faithful for both Polis and Kennedy? Oh, it was definitely a Kerry Kennedy moment. Uh, there's there's no, no doubt about it. There's not a long track record in this state, and you can go back 40 years, where that top-line designation and being the favorite on the floor of an assembly necessarily translates into, into success at the primary ballot. There's many cases or more where that didn't work out as where it did. But you have the feeling that maybe something is different this year. Um, Kerry, Kerry Kennedy picked a strategy, picked a course. I'm going to be the favorite of the party regulars. I'm going through this process. I'm going to own the process. And she executed... Uh, she executed very, very well. She will go up now against a money machine. I will differ a little. I don't. I, I think Mike Johnston is still to be heard from. I think he is definitely lagging here, and I think he's got to figure out a way not just to get traction, but to get traction pretty quickly to get back into the conversation. But he has a pocketbook, and that pocketbook, it's a little different than, I think, Victor Mitchell's self-funding pocketbook. So I, I think there's still some potential for Johnston to be heard from. But Polis has got the bigger pocketbook. Um, it is 
largely a three-person race. Donald Lynn is not a clown car candidate by any standard. She's a very credible person, but she's never figured out her her, her ticket uh, in, in this particular contest. This is going to be the more interesting primary of the two. Susan, uh, what do you make between the at least the, the top-tier part of the ballot on the Democratic side that we're seeing the fight? We have uh, more spirited support from party regulars, and you have a whole lot of money and some different stances that Polis has taken. Who has the edge right now? Uh, you know, I agree with Mike that the money is uh, quite equal, or let's put it the other way, uh, grassroots support is quite equal to money. And Jared has a bit of a liability here because he needs to be in Washington in Congress. He has this other job. And so he cannot make it to a lot of events around the state. Carrie can campaign full time. Um, I agree with Patty that you know, she had a bit of a disastrous start with that uh, campaign launch video when she was driving. But you see a candidate here really finding her voice. Um, She's becoming more comfortable on the stump. She's becoming more open, uh, which matters, really. Um, and I think the people who know her one-on-one -on -one feel very great about Carrie. It's this question of, if you don't know her, um, number one, do you have a chance to meet her? And yes, she can meet a lot more people than Jared can because she's not in Congress. And number two, she's softening up. Um, I, I'm interested in what you said about the rematch between Stapleton and, and Kerry. Should that happen? Because this is a very different political year. I mean, that was a year when Republicans just swept the country. And we are not in that time anymore. Um, and Kerry and Jared and, you know, Johnston and, and Lynn all have that advantage. To raise awareness for lack of funding and resources, Inglewood school teachers protested in front of the state capitol on Monday in a, quote, day of action demonstration. More walkouts are planned for next Thursday and Friday by Denver and Jefferson County Public School Districts, which may be joined by more teachers, according to the Colorado Education Association. Michael, does, do these protests, do you think these protests will make any sort of a difference or impact in the waning days of the legislature? Uh, I doubt that they make it that big of an impact um, because a lot of it's wrapped up, you know, in terms of the budget and everything else. Um, I think, you know, th these protests are a little bit different in our state compared to other states because you have a uh, Democratic uh, governor here. You have a Democratic state house where in other states a lot of it is trying to put pressure on Republicans to spend more on, on education. And that's kind of the other issue is these legislators can't raise taxes without going to the people to ask. And so walking down to the Capitol and demanding, you know, higher taxes or something isn't going to work. Um, I think teachers deserve to get paid more. I think there should be a pay raise for them. Um, but, you know, one of the big problems is you have a lot of legislators, uh, you know, doing tweets and videos and different stuff. But when it comes to prioritizing the budget um, and putting more money towards education, they've done it a little bit, but not as much as their rhetoric would, would say. So I think the other thing is a lot of this happens at the district level. Teacher pay is, is, is determined at the district level. And just this week, DPS um, hired a consultant who was the former chancellor in D.C. who got fired, um, two days a week, part-time job for 12 weeks, $60,000. So I think that some of these teachers need to start protesting kind of how the money's being spent on the district level as administration goes up and teacher pay is stagnant. Um, I think there's other places that they could go, uh, you know, with this concern. Eric, it, it felt to me a little bit about energizing the base more than particular action to the legislature. What do you think? I agree. Uh, to Michael's final point, he's right on. The optics of that consulting contract are just horrendous. And uh, Anton Wilson is not a bad guy. He's a talented guy and maybe has some special 
some special sauce here, but that is a very lucrative contract, particularly under the circumstances with walkouts and protests uh, and all the rest. There is definitely a mobilization and activism of teachers around the country. The point about Colorado being a different state because we tend to be a blue state or at least blue-leaning state with a Democratic governor, et cetera, is a point well taken. I'm of mixed minds. I mean, uh, I think we can stipulate around the table that teachers are underpaid, teachers deserve more as a profession. I don't think there'll be any argument to that. The idea of a walkout, you know, the first obligation of a teacher is to educate kids. Um, the idea of a walkout and using that particular form and whether you're screwing up people's child care or detracting from classroom time, I think that is an open question as to whether that uh, is the right tactic. Finally, Dominic, we have a system in Colorado and in other states as well where teacher compensation is so backloaded. So much of that compensation goes in the form of para, which is a whole separate issue. I'm not going to get into a big uh, para discussion because we could take hours on it. But so much of it is backloaded for those few teachers who stick around for an entire career and have, therefore, a very nice para package for retirement. There are a whole lot of teachers who are not in this for a career, and they're sacrificing their compensation on the front end for this heavily backloaded system we have. Susan, what do we need to know about these teacher protests that maybe not have made headlines so far? Yeah, um, to the point that we're a blue state, so it's not as important here, I think that's ridiculous. We are a blue state that happens to be one of the lowest uh, funders of education in the country. So being blue has clearly not moved the needle on that. Uh, I think it's imperative to get the point across to all lawmakers of all political influences that this is not acceptable. I mean, the message we're sending to our children, essentially anyone who would bother, you know, talking to their kids about the budget or any kids who might know about it, is that education doesn't matter. How can education matter to those kids if we as a state are not putting priority on it? The, the point about the walkouts and kids not being in class, um, you know, I, I feel for people with the child care issue. I think all of us who are parents uh, experience that there are plenty of in-service days already. Um, so that's a bit of a headache. But I think in terms of teaching kids who this year really have made headlines and history walking out um, about big public policies that affect them, climate change, gun control, this uh, I think is more educational really than any day in school, seeing that their teachers uh, have to drive Uber or have to tutor after school to make a living, I think this is a good teachable moment for them. Patty, wrap it up for us. Well, to return to the Democratic Assembly, you know, that was a mild one, not a wild one, except for the fact that basically they booted Democrats for education reform. You know, they're thrown off the platform. You can't use the word Democrat. We need to have a good discussion of where education needs to go, where, which places are top-heavy. What do you do about the starting teachers who are not getting the money they need? So Colorado is at a place where we should have that conversation. May or may not happen in the legislature. There's going to be protesting again there next week, so we'll see. But sooner or later, this is going to be a really critical issue here. We've had plenty to talk about this week. We're going to go to disgrace, but be sure to tune in to CIO Postgame. That's a special web-exclusive production we have here. We'll be talking about the next topic, about all the different things happening in the mayor's office and all the different open records requests and how those went this week. So that'll be online, both uh, Twitter and Facebook, uh, Friday night and through the weekend. But let's get to disgrace of the week, our favorite part of the show. Ms. Cahoon, please start us off. 
Well, one of Colorado's great chapters was when Elvis Presley would come here and give uh, Cadillacs <laughs> to different police chiefs in exchange for being deputized. It's a nice story, and it's true. But there's no reason for the Yuma County Sheriff to take, uh, to take a page from the Elvis days and deputize Wall Street hedge fund managers, allowing them to take guns on airplanes. And in exchange, what, he gets a new truck? This is not a good way to deputize people out on the planes. Michael. So I, Patty just touched on it, but the, uh, at the Democratic, uh, Democratic Assembly, they stripped uh, defer. Uh, from the from using the term Democrats, and there's two lieutenant gov former lieutenant governors, Mike Johnston. Um, there's a former speaker of the House that are all on the board of Defer. Um, and for a party that talks about tolerance and diversity, uh, I don't think that this decision really reflected that. Eric, wow, I was not expecting Michael to go there, but I'm going the same place. It was stunning at the Democratic convention. Michael put it very well. For a party that promotes diversity, inclusion, tolerance for different viewpoints, there is no tolerance for different viewpoints here. A discussion about ed policy is a healthy discussion for a party to have. Parties should be big tents and they should welcome dissent. The people behind Defer, I mean, whether you're talking about the Terrence Carrolls of the world or the Barbara O'Briens of the world, or I could do a very long list, are as democratic as any other person on the floor of that assembly. Um, this was a needless and uh, reprehensible insult to a, a worthwhile organization. Susan. The Suncor Corporation for spewing a mother load of toxic chemicals into the air in poor neighborhoods um, in Denver and for the city officials and the state officials who keep allowing it. Time for a bumper sticker version of Say Something Nice. We're running out of time. Patty. The students who become active after the shootings at Parkland. So March for Our Lives morphed into Vote for Our Lives, and they had held the rally outside Columbine the day before the anniversary, and they're doing a great job. Michael. I picked Tammy Jo Schultz, who was the pilot uh, for the Southwest flight. Uh, obviously, one person passed away, which was really sad, but she saved a lot of lives and was so calm under pressure. Yeah, we should know that name as much as we know Sullenberger, absolutely. Eric. Well said. Uh, Denver City Council President Albus Brooks announced this week that there's been a return of his cancer. Hopefully it's small, hopefully it is manageable, but he continues to fight this battle and has our good wishes. Susan. The journalists of Colorado who are struggling to do their jobs, just like teachers are struggling to do their jobs with vastly uh, low resources. I just, uh, it's journalism week in Colorado, hug a journalist. Like a journalist indeed. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Colorado Inside Out. Be sure to take CIO wherever you go. We're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, you name it, we are there. Also check out our podcast on iTunes and Google Play. And be sure to check into our uh, CIO post game this week. We'll talk about the mayor's office. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Gazzuti. Thank you very much for watching. Good night. Mm -hmm.